the Genesis Foundation approaches its 20th anniversary. And during those two decades, it has played a major role in the lives of numerous musicians, actors and artists in the UK. It's unthinkable for me not to give, says the Foundation's founder and chairman, John Stadzinski. It would be like cutting off a leg. It gives me an enormous amount of pleasure to support other people's sense of dignity and their confidence in their artistic talent, to follow the narrative of what artists do. And the Foundation's philosophy has been guided very much by this principle. In this Genesis 20 podcast, John Stadzinski is joined in conversation by Jan Daly, the arts editor of the Financial Times. The subject is, quite simply, philanthropy. John, I've been a huge admirer of your philanthropic work in the arts for many, many years, and here we are celebrating 20 years of the Genesis Foundation. Over the years, you've also spoken and written, really interestingly, about philanthropy, what it should be, what it shouldn't be. And the thing that always impresses me is the way you say that philanthropy has to be much more than simply giving money. I'm always opposed, Jan, as you know, and I've been this way for the last 20, 30, 40 years, that I call that checkbook philanthropy. Me just writing a check or giving someone a donation is uh, solves a short-term purpose, but it doesn't do anything to nurture or, moreover, invest in the beneficiary. It's a bit like someone giving a child a limited amount of food just to allow them to survive for a period of time, as opposed to teaching someone to fish so that they can actually have the fish and survive on their own going forward. And with that, of course, they develop their sense of self-esteem and their dignity. I think dignity is a big part of philanthropy. Uh, Giving is about self-esteem and about nurturing the human condition. It's not just about band-aids and and short-term. And I think that's where real philanthropy has to continue to evolve. And of course, I've made lots of mistakes, but it's important that we look at this sort of as an ongoing process. So there's quite a list of things, really, that the philanthropist, the the good philanthropist, needs to do and to think about either before or during or after she or he has written the cheque and the sense of a two-way process it seems to me is a very important one the sense that there's trust involved there is a networking element involved in fact there's all kinds of things beginning with tea Mm. which um, you have laid out sometimes, I know, in your ideal philanthropic menu. Well, we've talked about money, and that's, of course, the treasure, and that's the easiest thing. But I think what's really more important is if you're going to be engaged in something to enhance the quality of the planet, and I think it's about alleviating hurt or alleviating pain or solving problems rather than just creating beauty or joy... I'm not opposed to sponsoring a beautiful art exhibition because that has an educational side and that will benefit people. But at the same time, I think one wants to look at the planet and to try to alleviate pain. And that you've got to have a certain amount of passion about that. And if you've got passion, you probably then are prepared to dedicate time or to a certain extent some of your own talent or to sort of recruit talent around you to try to address a certain problem or issue. 
Philanthropy is genuinely about looking at the building blocks of how you address what your passion is, what the issues or problems are that you're trying to solve, and where you want to go as a one, two, or three phase or step process. And ultimately, it's about partnership with, with good people. My lesson learned is if I had to choose between partnering with an institution or partnering with an individual, I would always partner with an individual. They may be at an institution, but they may be an entrepreneur, they may be an artist, they may be an educator, they may be an innovator, they may be a technology guru, but I think there has to be sort of a seed corn of partnership. Sometimes there's a great leader like a Neil McGregor at a British Museum, uh, Nick Sirota at a Tate Modern, or Harry Christopher at the 16, but ultimately it's about the individual and the individual's vision and leadership and the combination of your vision and passion with the individual's talent and capabilities. And sometimes that's a good example of the best philanthropy of partnerships is one and one can be not only three, but also sometimes four. And you see that a lot of times and some of the most interesting thing in the arts comes from when you create there's a, either a creative team or you have an extraordinary team in educational projects and initiatives. You know, the work we're doing in CREATE right now in the East End in Barking and Dagenham, we've just had these artist studios built and Grayson Perry has been one of our principal leaders and advisors there and he's done an extraordinary job of thinking about how this whole artist uh, community should be structured so that it's integrated into Barking and Dagenham and meets a number of needs of the community, of the art world, but also Grayson has, being an artist himself, able to bring a certain insight that allows philanthropists to have more comfort that the whole project is being managed prudently, but also creatively. Yes, I was surprised to hear you say that about the individual rather than the institution, because of course you have been very involved with working through partner programs with say the Royal Court, Welsh National Opera, Young Vic, many of our finest institutions, but you explain that as saying that it's the individual who's within that institution that you focus on, and that's how you make that work. Ooh, lots but of what happens if the individual yeah. leaves that Well, place? lessons learned, we've learned this lesson before. I've had a number of institutional relationships over 20 years. You know, institutions see a donor initially as solving a number of objectives. They often put forth projects that are their projects and they're hoping you'll fund them. But in fact, they're their projects, but they also have other purposes for your capital, which may well be to deal with short-term expenditure shortfalls, funding depreciation, or other projects that you're not interested in, but they're gonna cover. So we learned early on that those institutions were probably not the best partners. They were probably gonna patronize donors or patronize wealth and on the other hand it was better to find the partner with the institution and put in what we have in the business world which is a key man clause which basically says if you know and we did this originally with the Royal Court Theatre we all know and sadly she passed away last year and a great loss to the new writing world in theatre but our relationship with the Royal Court Theatre was entirely on the basis of Elise Dodson and it was Elise Dodson that was introduced to us by Stephen Daldry, who said, this is the woman who is really going to transform international new writing. 
and she did. And we were partnered with her for 15 years, but our donor relationship with the Royal Court was predicated on her being there and her leading the program. And if she left, or they decided to terminate the program, we would terminate our money. Mm -hmm. Because it had to be about the partnership with the individual first, and the institution second. Because it's, it, 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 individuals get things to happen, and they also have their own you know, talent, their own dedication of time to something. So that your investment, your treasure that's invested, is well spent, and again, the, it pays the types of dividends. And also, there's an element of collaboration there, so that you you develop a sense of rapport, chemistry, so that every time you achieve something, you do it together. And, and it's between yourself, your partner, and then you watch the the beneficiaries, whether it's the new writer or the audience or someone else who's benefited from it. And it's a, it's a wonderful experience. Yes, you've talked about philanthropy as a sharing experience and how important the concept of sharing is, which I also think is, is quite original because most people think of philanthropy as being a one-way process. Somebody's got the loot and somebody else wants it and that's kind of it. But you are very keen on the sharing element, the two-way process. So you've described the sharing element with the partner. So there's also a sharing relationship with the beneficiary in which you as the philanthropist receives something. So you're a, a receiver as well as a giver. In some respects, it's a bit like, on one hand, I'm someone who's been very interested in dig human dignity, so I see myself as a defender and a nurturer of human dignity. But if we look at the Genesis network that we've created with Lambda over 20 years, and I now spend time with a lot of the actors who received scholarships, people like Sam Barnett, they remain loyal to Genesis, they stay involved with Genesis, and they have a gratitude and appreciation, which they in turn pass on to other actors in, in a mentoring role. So the mentoring role that I've sort of tried to create for the beneficiaries of the Lambda community, they in fact, when they complete their program, they share that with other actors. And I see that as something coming back and acknowledging the respect for the Genesis model and the relationship. It's a form of thank you, it's a form of appreciation, but it's also an acknowledgement that that wonderful line from Mother Teresa, you can only change the world one person at a time, but every one person then has an impact on other people. So it is step by step, and that's particularly true in the arts, because many people go to school and they learn from groups, but I think if most of the profound people will tell you that they've learned most from one-on-one -on -one encounters, either in the teaching, acting model, or actually in a production, or from having mentors. So it, it is very powerful. I mean, it seems to me that over 20 years, you've really thought more deeply than many philanthropists do. So th this is really best practice philanthropy we're talking about. But there is philanthropy that's not so good, right? I mean, there are people who give away money, which is a generous thing to do. But if they do it without some of the other thinking, some of the other planning and care and consideration, this can be almost worse than not giving it at all. Almost all types of philanthropy are, initially, they appear to be good. I think we have to regard the fact that there are scarce resources on the planet for philanthropy. So it is about resource allocation, it's about capital allocation, it's about human capital allocation. 
It's about talent, allocation, and nurturing. And I think sometimes if someone has a motivation, you know, there are various forms of what I call less impressive philanthropy, or you use the term bad philanthropy. I've used the term bad philanthropy before. It's, ne it's almost like paid advertising, um, and that's fine. Uh, and that has a purpose. And if someone needs to build a building and they need X million dollars or pounds to do it, then that serves a purpose. But I wonder whether in the longer term, they may get the benefit of having their name on the building, but are they actually gonna get the benefits of what they really would get if they got themselves more engaged in the project on, on two or three levels? What do you think it might mean for the future of philanthropy and how young people are gonna to choose to spend their money when and if they get it? Because after all, we are seeing some very young people with a huge amount of money. It's interesting. Um, when you go to some high schools, secondary schools, colleges, you take an investment course and you create a hypothetical pot of money that you have to invest and you invest a certain amount in this portfolio strategy, stocks, bonds, other types of venture investments. I was speaking at a, one of my day job family capital events recently and one of the very wealthy families in China said to me, how do you encourage children to embrace philanthropy? And I said, well, it's easy. Starting at the age of 10, 12, 14, 16, you give them a small amount of money, maybe a thousand pounds and maybe 500 pounds, and you, you ask them to investigate what they'd like to give it to and why, and then you talk about it and you create a project for them. It's their project, not somebody else's project, and then where they want their money to be given and it becomes a bit of a game. And he teaches the child that donating can be fun because you get to make the donation and see the follow through. But if you do that from a child at a young age, like someone who's in their early adolescence, perhaps they have a different view about it because then they've grown up with it. Particularly interesting in China where there hasn't at least recently been any tradition of philanthropy. What's interesting though in China is, and it shouldn't come as a surprise, is most of the philanthropy is evolving through education and through um, healthcare, and those two areas are areas where people are much more open-minded about philanthropy, less so in the arts. So you feel quite optimistic. You are quite optimistic, actually, aren't you? Well, <laughs> I don't know. No, I'm, I'm, um, mankind is inherently good. People are inherently good if they're part of some type of community. It may not be a family, it may be a family, it may be some type of support system that goes back to a lot of the things we've learned in Genesis. It's so much about networks and uh, nurturing and uh, being part of something where you establish contacts and you maintain them. If anything, the most important thing in philanthropy is for people to feel part of a bigger community and have that community have a bigger, more focused purpose. So I am positive. All people want to be part of a community. Social media allows us to sort of sit there and our screen tells us at the end of every day how much time we've spent in the last 24 hours, which is a shocking statistic. Mm. That doesn't necessarily mean we don't want to be part of a community. We're, we're part of a community and going looking at the screen, we're just part of a different community, which mm. allows us to almost to avoid human interaction, which I think is bad. There'll be a swing back at some point, there always is.
There are very good things that happen through those screens, though. And some of them are philanthropic, aren't they? I there mean, are. Crowdfunding, but also awareness. Um, you're right, mm. social media is very powerful. And of course, I can, we haven't talked about it, but I, you know, the thing that's really going to be powerful when it, it's, we can apply it to issues like arts, education, and the, uh, even the working on areas like uh, modern slavery is uh, artificial intelligence and virtual reality. Virtual reality is very powerful. The fact you can go into a refugee camp with a virtual reality headset on and have the experience of being in a refugee camp and observing what's happening there with young children. It's a very powerful experience. At the same time, you can also do this so many interesting things with the arts. So it's the technology is not to be ignored, but it has to it has its place. You're somebody with a very powerful and profound spiritual faith. Does this play a part in your desire for philanthropic work, but also your belief in its validity? Well, I think yes. You know, Mother Teresa, again, we're going back to her, because she's obviously a very strong personality. She would always, every morning, she would have a prayer, and she would say, the, the fruit of silence is prayer, the fruit of prayer is faith, the fruit of, of faith is love, the fruit of love is service. And I think service is a very important part of philanthropy in terms of creating philanthropic models that serve a purpose whether it's education whether it's mentoring whether it's nurturing whether it's trying to have an impact on the planet and leave things slightly better but i think one has to be humble about it too you can only accomplish so much do you think it's fair for the philanthropist to not demand a return in a sense but it's slightly different from the charitable giving that the church teaches us, isn't it? That is much more well, the of church a is about duty kind tithing. of thing. Um, it, mm. some, some faiths have a strong, almost relentless message about a certain percentage of your income, mm. get, whether it's 5%, 10% or more, go to directly to the church. And I think the Buddhist notion, which sometimes you find in Christianity, not as much, is one should be grateful for what one has as to constantly trying to aspire for more and to be critical of what one has. But I think no two philanthropies are the same. And I think it's important in this conversation that we don't generalize about philanthropy other than the fact that it is about treasure, it is about time, it is about your talent, but it's also increasingly how can you get young people more engaged in philanthropy? And I think with technology today, which can be used to establish more ties or networking, uh, that can be very effective in, in terms of outreach and bringing younger people into forms of philanthropy. I think the word philanthropy is something that's still associated with, with big pots of money and power and almost an elite element in society. And I think we almost should think of a new word for philanthropy. I think many people don't get involved in philanthropy because they think they don't have enough money and they can't have an impact. That's where crowdfunding is so interesting. It's such exactly. an interesting phenomenon, isn't it? It shows that actually everybody would like to. And a very interesting idea, John, for a philanthropist is to establish the, somehow the teaching of philanthropy in others. When people say, how do you know your philanthropy works for the beneficiary? And I said, there's an easy way around that. You know your project, you know your initiative, you know your program, the years you spent on something, 
has been successful when people feel that they're part of a movement, program, a partnership. They don't want to be someone else's project. If you're part of my project, you're not my equal, you're not my partner, you're not my, you're not my collaborator. I'm just sort of giving you something that's patronizing, potentially insulting or demeaning. People don't want to be someone else's project. They don't say that directly, but it's all subliminal. It's how you make people feel in philanthropy. And I think if the, the lesson that's most powerful in philanthropy is people have to feel that they are part of a winning team. And I, I feel as though we've accomplished that with Genesis in 20 years. We feel as though we look at the, the five, 10,000 artists who've been part of the Genesis programs, projects, they all feel as though they're part of a movement of nurturing young artists. And they don't feel like they're just someone who was given a handout or helped. They feel as though they've become role models for nurturing, for mentoring, and for, for the creative process and for change. When you have a partnership between the donor and the beneficiary, that quickly morphs into something which is about a collaboration where two people or two organizations or two groups of people create something that has a domino effect with others. And you almost, going back to my original point, you allow people to, in teaching them to fish, turn around and teach other people to fish, who then around and teach other people to fish. And they might teach them to fish much better than they were taught originally, because they do it with a sense of dignity, with, with a sense of purpose, with a sense of pleasure, because they reestablished a sense of self-confidence. Once you feel secure, you should dig your feet in and just say to yourself, okay, how can I make a difference, not only in my life, but in someone else's life? John Studinsky was in conversation with Jan Daly. And for more information about the Genesis Foundation and its partners, please visit genesisfoundation.org. Dot uk